Hey folks, I'd like to give this episode a little context. This is one of the first conversations that Matt and I taped for this series, and I was going through something at the time that ended up being the catalyst for me starting therapy, but also ended up not being quite the crisis or quite the root cause that I thought it was. So some of that context has been edited out, and I think that's kind of relevant to this topic because we're talking about wasted years and we're talking about forgiveness, and we're talking about the ability to amend the past by learning from it and reclaiming certain traumatic experiences, or even just experiences that were unpleasant or unfruitful or frivolous, but reclaiming them nonetheless as edifying, rather than just being times in our life that saw a lack of success. And now that I've been in therapy for a little while, It's been very valuable to learn that it's not always the root cause that matters. It's not always the events and eras and phases of our lives that define us. It's not what we experience, it's how we experience it. And the prevailing theme in this conversation was that for all the time we spend lamenting time that we've wasted, the only thing we can change is how we think about it. The only way we can grow is to offer empathy and understanding to our past selves. Because really, could we have done any better? So with all that said, I hope you enjoy this conversation. But if at times it sounds a little vague, just know that the only thing you're not hearing is some misdirected resentment that I was holding on to and that I can't hold on to anymore. Enjoy the show. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost impossible in some ways to waste years. I mean, I struggle with this all the time. I feel like I've wasted so much of my life. But when I think about it, it seems like it's possible to not spend years the way you wanted to. But that lesson that you learn, it it does, it's that old cliche, but I mean, it makes you who you are. Like you've understood a, a realm that you never would have even known existed if it hadn't kicked you so hard, you know, which is horrible that that had to happen, but it's made you wiser. It's made you tougher. It's made you really understand your own conviction in ways that don't happen because of pleasure, which is, I think, a really unfortunate part of living this life. I also think about milestones. I think if we, if we have the perception that any point of our life was wasted, we perceive it that way because we missed the opportunity to keep up with our peers, maybe or we missed the opportunity to hit certain milestones when we are conditioned to believe that we will hit them. That's true. That is a lot of it. It even masquerades as spirituality, but I mean, so much of it is just straight up conditioning. It's just, we start getting taught these things at ages we can't even really comprehend the world at all. And so many things that seem like just innate parts of us, they become kind of violated during these times of crisis. And it's it's terrifying. And I mean... That's why I think these kinds of trauma responses to stuff like that, they're completely valid because the rug's being pulled out from under you while you watch. So it's a very careful walk back. Do you feel like you're, I only know a little bit of your personal history, but do you feel like you're not that far out from years that you would have considered wasted? Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> if I've stopped wasting them at all, you know, which is kind of the part, I've been having a crisis with that lately, just internally trying to figure some of that out, but 
it's like when I think back on the years that I would say by most metrics I've wasted with uh, great zeal, <laughs> I think I had fun and I made connections with people that I just, I love to this day. You know, even people that won't talk to me anymore, but I still, I'm just really, really glad that I knew them or I'm really, really glad that we had the experiences that we had. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of pain, but a lot of really good things and even some of that pain feels almost holy now when I think back to it. So it's like, I can't really say that those years were wasted. I think the only thing I feel like I really wasted was just that presence of mind while anything was happening. And that's why I feel like it's still going on now, you know, that I don't think I've completely snapped to whatever center I hope to be at where I understand kind of how things are transitory and how life is moving along no matter what. And you know, it's just all the old cliches that you're, you're told, like, things will pass and, like, live in the moment, <laughs> like coffee mug sayings, you know, but, like, they're true a lot of times. And, yeah, so I've really been struggling with, like, well, if I didn't waste these years, what the hell did I do with them? And how do I stop? Because I still have that feeling when I look back at last year, when I look back at the year before, but I wouldn't take back any of the experiences or any of the people. Like, they were, they were all things that I'll value to the end of my life. If you'd allow me to free associate for a moment. Mm -hmm. First of all, I really believe that you should write a memoir called Wasted with Great Zeal. <laughs> it's an adjective and a verb, man. Mm -hmm. During most of those years. <laughs> all right. So second of all, something you just said, you know, made me think of the idea that people enter our lives at the right time. And even if it's only for you know, a comparatively fleeting moment in our lives. They give us the companionship that we need, even if it's not healthy for us in the moment. They give us a sense of belonging, even though it's not what we ultimately want to belong to. But to go back to what we were talking about on the human condition episode, that is all about the ascribing of meaning to a point in your life. And I think that that can work in two ways. One, it can cause you to justify or rationalize the people that you were spending time with who were maybe not the best or healthiest crowd for you to be with. But what is unique to us as humans is that we will assign meaning to those people and it will have an indelible impact on our lives. So I think an important thing to take note of there is that if you think that a certain time in your life was wasted or was squandered based on what you didn't accomplish or based on your lack of motivation or based on your lack of aspirations, take note of who you were with at that time and what you learned from them. Because I can think of plenty of moments in my life where I wasn't accomplishing the things that I wanted to, but I was with people who, even if all I learned was to stay away from people like that, like that's still something that you have to have imprinted on you. Absolutely. And it's a strong way to learn it, I think. Like learning by doing in a case like that is a pretty trustworthy way to just lead yourself straight to hell. But it's also you don't forget those lessons. And, um, I mean, I remember just learning, like, especially kind of when I got sober and stuff, one of the biggest lessons that I think I took with me was from all of the pain and all the burned bridges and stuff. It was realizing that at the core of it all, 
you don't want to be the wildest guy in the room. You know, you go into it with whatever kind of party animal expectations you have. Like I, in my case, I was reading Hunter Thompson and stuff like that, you know, and I went through kind of a quasi Hemingway phase going into that. And it just seemed romantic. And I realized that like, after a while, it just isn't because either you're not going to be the wildest guy in the room and you're going to end up in a terrible situation or you are going to be and your friends are just going to go home and you're going to wake up and be like, what the hell happened and why am I alone? So it was stuff like that, like all the times I kind of got dropped on my ass that I really wish I could regret them. They were terrible. But I think they gave me some sort of like some sense of humility now that I don't think I ever could have scraped together otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think of moments in my life where hard one way or hard the other, either I was kind of the party animal and kind of showing up and not being the wackiest guy in the room by any means, but um, certainly engaging in that culture more than I'm proud to say that I did. (laughs) And, you know, at other times I was the absolute quietest guy in the room. And I always had a hard time visualizing who I was supposed to be in those moments yeah, because socialization does not come very natural to me. And I think, you know, we've talked a little bit before about the, you know, wearing masks, wearing different social personas and sort of compensating for what you believe you lack in social fortitude. And that's an important defense to have in a lot of cases, I think, but it's also important to grow into your own person. And so I can't say that that was wasted time. I can say that maybe it was wasted social interaction Mm. because I could have gotten more out of it had I really known who I was and how I, had I really known how I wanted to interact with people, not just how they wanted me to interact. But I can't say that it was wasted time because now I can look back on that and I can really compare myself to that. Well, that's kind of interesting because, I mean, maybe that's the core of it is that time is too broad strokes to really say what's been wasted or what's been used effectively because time is just time. Time's, you know, it's a construct. It's a real thing. It's what we're living in. It's what's living in us. Like, it's just something kind of more ethereal. But you can definitely waste things that take place during that time, you know? Like you could spend a year just doing donuts around your neighborhood in your car. I'm guessing you'd learn something, at least about yourself, or, you know, you'd probably learn something from that. So it might not be wasted, but you definitely would have wasted some gas. So it's like maybe what takes place or what inhabits that time can be squandered or can be misused or can be valuable or whatever. But the time itself, it might just be kind of a colloquialism at this point. Yeah, so it's almost like time isn't wasted, but resources can be. Yeah. I don't even want to say our opportunities can be wasted, because I think that's even too much of a colloquialism. But if you're at a very self-reflective place in your life, and you're kind of looking back on moments that you consider wasted, and you're full of regret, right now is when you have the resource to show wisdom in looking back on that moment. And what could you have learned and what could you have said or done instead even that looking at, at looking at it as the resource that you had to access your own agency at that time was not necessarily squandered even then it's squandered if you don't learn the lesson later it's squandered if you don't reappropriate that experience for the sake of your own wisdom yeah i mean that notion that it was squandered or even just that it was 
picked when it was ripe, you know, that's always measured up against something that hasn't happened yet, you know? So it's almost impossible to know objectively whether something is wasted or like, you know, the future, the opportunities have not elapsed yet. So in many of those cases, like I think back and it doesn't make it hurt any less, but I think back to like when I was kind of going through my own rebellious phase, like when I was leaving school and stuff and it was, I think about all this, the chances that I blew and yeah, I mean, I, I blew them by, you know, no stretch of the imagination. Like there was stuff that I was offered that I just completely rejected or completely squandered or screwed up. But at the same time, had I taken those things, what would I have really offered? You know, I was just some angry, stuck up kid who just didn't want to learn and I just wanted to live. And I don't think I would have been very good at any of those opportunities had I seized them. I may have been a little bit further along in the path of life because I would have stayed in the traditional pipeline that I was in or I would have like gotten a little bit further. I would have greased the right palms, that kind of thing. But I don't think I would have realized myself quite the way I did by not taking those paths. And I could be saying the same thing had I taken those same routes and not taken the ones I chose to take, which I very much wanted to take at the time. So it's really, it's a fool's errand to kind of understand whether or not you wasted those things. But it truly doesn't make it hurt any less. Yeah, in that sense, it's impossible, not impossible, but very unlikely that later on, later on, it would be a foregone conclusion that those were wasted years. Because no matter what the experience you accepted for yourself was, that's still, I mean, look at it as determinism. And wherever you were at that time in your life, you passed up an opportunity because you didn't think that Either you would be strong enough to follow it through, or you didn't think that it would be worthwhile for you in the long run. And even looking back on that with regret is a fool's errand, I agree with you. Even if it is a fool's errand, which it very much feels like it is, um, it still kind of feels like an errand worth running in a lot of ways. Because when I really think about it right now, I don't know how else to view my past, except with like just gut-wrenching regret. Because it's just the capacity in which I can understand it right now, you know? And I feel like as long as I keep looking at it and trying to understand it, that regret will pale or that regret will change shades into something that's a little bit more useful to me. And uh, it took me a very long time to get to that point where I felt like I didn't have to run away from those maybe less enlightened ways of viewing my, my life, but to kind of almost trust them, not to lay back on them and to just think that this is where it's going to be and how I'm going to look at things. Like I'm going to be some bitter old miser, just like, yeah, you know, I could have been a doctor. But um, yeah, so I've just really learned to kind of trust in the the movement of it in a lot of ways and and try to be with those feelings, even if they're shitty and not run from them. That's That's been very helpful for me lately. It, like I keep saying, it has not dulled the pain at all. Like I still it ties me up inside when I think about the things that I could have had or the bridges that I've burned or like just the dumb shit that you do when you're a kid and you're like, why didn't I know that? But I mean, I, I didn't, I couldn't, you know, and uh, here I am. So it's like, it doesn't feel wrong in that way. I think now it's more of a fear. Now it's more of a, God, I hope this works. You know, like I hope I didn't blow it too badly. And I'm finding that's what the regret actually has been concealing for me. It's not about like all the road I didn't take. It's about like, God, I hope I'm still on the map, you know?
Well, let's try to zero in on that a little bit because I feel the same way about my own past. There are like, there are moments, especially in like my mid twenties when I look at them and I'm full of self-loathing, but I also notice that there is a bracket. There's a time when that starts and there's a time when that stops. And I think that there's probably a defining moment somewhere in all of us. Either it's when we start making adult decisions for ourselves, or either it's when we start thinking that we're hurting people with our own actions, or either it's when we start recognizing the deficits that we had when it came to evolving and growing and hitting those milestones. Is it when we failed our first class? Is it when we broke our first heart? Is it when we got into our first car crash? You know, like it's, it could be any number of things. And so I wonder like what, what must happen to the ego? What must happen to the sense of self in order for that trigger to be pulled? Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, there's also like, there's those firsts that I think are the ones that really kind of stick out. Like those are the a lot of those first moments are like kind of landmark things that you can easily look back on and say, wow, that was when that changed. But for me, it's like the second and the third in a lot of cases. It's like those are the ones that kind of make me sick, you know, when you just realize that at some point you got comfortable staying on whatever path you were starting to go down. For me, I, I definitely think that up until the age of like 17 or so, I can forgive a lot of behavior. But I think that something happens and I do believe that it has to do with the formation of the ego and the advent of goal setting. And so when you, when you enter into a certain stretch of time, especially like if you're looking back on that stretch of time as like, oh, this is when I really faltered. And I let that faltering continue for so many years. So for me, I think that like between the ages of 17 and probably 27. I think that like probably there's like a 10 year period where if I have a memory of having acted inappropriately or having acted either selfishly or unselfishly, but because I didn't feel deserving or narcissistically or like self-destructively. Now I can do that and I can almost immediately forgive myself. <laughs> Because I know that I am capable of contrition for the right reasons. And I think that what I can't forgive myself for is, as odd as this sounds, like being undeveloped. And there shouldn't be any shame in that. There shouldn't be any shame in not having developed a sense of community, a sense of accountability, or even just the sense of responsibility to oneself. Because that, I think, is something I've always struggled with. So I don't know. It, it's I think some of us have a hard time forgiving ourselves for not being woke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a terrifying level of vulnerability when you think about it, because to look back at any of those years and realize that like all that you were really doing wrong was not accepting about yourself that you were learning as the part of a greater community, just like everybody else. Like nobody knows what in the hell we're supposed to be doing. You know, some people have learned lessons and stuff, but I mean, there is no plan. So that's a terrifying level of vulnerability to me that like, we're just walking around because people can hurt you by that same token. Society can really hurt you by that same token. And to accept that about your life then is kind of to accept that about your life now and going forward. 
so it's really like a bit of a deep breath moment in some ways where you're accepting a level of humbleness almost or sort of throwing yourself at the mercy of the world. And I think that's a lot to process. Well, that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. I remember a time when I couldn't act on my own behalf. I remember a time when I couldn't see the big picture. I remember a time when I didn't have, you know, I had vision, but I couldn't visualize myself as an adult, actualized person who cares about the conventional milestones. And I still wouldn't say that I do, but that's all you really know. And that's all you're pressured into at that point in your life. Yeah. And there's no alternative in a lot of ways. When when they kind of, I don't know, when they teach you things like that in a lot of institutions, I feel like they don't give you a plan B. They don't really, I remember like when I was coming out of high school, I mean, there was no alternative. Like you either went to college and you, you did the thing that they were teaching you how to do, or you just kind of didn't. And there wasn't really a lot of encouragement for like exploring a middle ground. And that made it really scary. It made it seem like, all of the love and the joy that I thought that my community or my life was giving me and would continue to give me, like, you know, we're taught in that fairy tale conception of what life is. Um, I thought it was all kind of conditional upon doing these things in this order. And like, maybe you get a certain amount of like, you know, screw ups before people really stop believing in you, but it's still conditional. And that had me in knots for a long time, you know, just like, it, it was a really hard thing to reckon with. And to understand partially because I don't know that it's inherently false. I think a lot of those things are conditional. It's like you almost have to earn them back and uh, do them your own way, which is kind of crappy when you think about it, but it definitely leads you some places. Well, I want to go back to my own example for a moment. You know, 10 years ago, a lot of my peers did not understand what I was going through, and I was being told a lot that I don't function to my full potential, which maybe is still true. Maybe what I was feeling was that at the age of, you know, 24, 25 years old, I don't feel that I'll be shown grace for not keeping up with my peers or not keeping up with what my own goals are. And so now I look at me 10 years later and I'm developing new goals and I'm developing new strategies and new plans in order to realize them. And maybe what I'm feeling is insecurity because the last time that I had at once goals and uncertainty about my ability to meet them, I also didn't feel as though I would be shown grace if I didn't meet them. And so compounded with this thing that I feel about trusting those in my community to recognize me as an individual, do I also have a hard time trusting that they will forgive me for not reaching my potential? And because if I don't reach my potential, then I won't be able to contribute to that community in the way that I want to, or in the way that they want me to. Maybe that's a more important way to phrase it. So to zoom out on this, maybe... It's not that you don't forgive yourself for those wasted years. It's that you still have the perception that other people don't forgive you for them. Yeah, that's true. I don't necessarily like that we've landed here. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I won't ask you what you've had to forgive yourself for because that's prying into too personal of a territory. But have you, I mean, even this might be a dangerous question, but have you developed any strategies or any like practices for learning when it's okay to forgive yourself or just enacting that forgiveness? Uh, I mean, it's a challenge, but um, self-talk is the biggest thing that I've ever found to kind of help me combat any of this stuff. It doesn't necessarily end like the rumination. It doesn't make me stop worrying about stuff, but it definitely, it gives me at least a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and that, that tends to help. It helps me at least justify distracting myself. So a lot of times I just try to step as far back from whatever happened as I can and just think like, could you have honestly done anything differently in this situation? Like, I know you wanted to, you know, you have wisdom now or whatever, but like in that moment, could you have possibly acted differently? And a lot of times that clears it up. Um, other times I do this for gigs a lot. Um, I give myself a certain amount of mistakes that I just allow. They can be anything, but it's like, if I'm playing a show, I get three mistakes and that's what's cool. That's what's like gonna be swept under the rug. Kind of great on a curve, I guess. And then anything above that, I don't necessarily, I don't torture myself unnecessarily because I know I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice my ass off and fix whatever I didn't do right. Or I'm going to go on a run. And uh, like, actually I had a, an instance of that um, a few weeks ago. I had almost a slip with drinking, which was, it wasn't a desire sort of thing. It was like an accident where like it was in something and I didn't quite realize it, but I tasted it and I spit it out. But I tasted it and I realized like it freaked me out for the rest of the day. And every rational part of me with the self-talk was was saying, you spit it out. That's all that matters. Like you didn't swallow it. But it was still too close and it messed me up. So I was like, I, I wouldn't advocate this, but it's just kind of what works for me. But I just kind of decided to go out and, and beat myself up. And so I just got on my bike and I rode as hard as I could as fast as I could for as long as I could. And every time I felt like slowing down, I was like, well, you want to taste vodka again, motherfucker? Well, you do one more goddamn mile and then you see if you want to taste vodka again. And it worked. I don't know. I was like draped over that thing a few miles in, but I just, it went away. For some reason, I just kind of was like, all right. Like I shook hands with myself and I don't think that that's a healthy response, but it just lets me deal with the self-loathing. It lets me deal with the confusion and kind of not feel ashamed, I guess. It makes it feel like it all it's all going into something. I don't know. I think just not hiding from it and trying to be with it as much as you can. That's I've been able to get to forgiveness a lot that way. What did you accidentally drink? It was <laughs> it was a really well-intentioned fuck up, but I was trying to make a cake for my mom's birthday at like 2 or 3 in the morning and I poured a ton of extract. Okay into um, the frosting, trying to make mint frosting. And I just, I don't know, I never quite understood that that's what extract was. I thought it was just mint, like they squeezed a bunch of leaves and that was that. And uh, I didn't taste it in the frosting, but the next day I tried to make kind of like a little mint, um, I tried to put in like seltzer or something, like trying to make a little cocktail flavor that would be nice. And I drank that and it was just... That's that sting, you know, that feeling like yeah. when a hard drink hits you. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things about drinking was the first one of those in the morning was like, oh, Christ. And then it just it was on from then on. It was just a good feeling. And I felt that. And that was like all I needed. 
and I just was like going past that point. So it's what I get trying to do a good deed, man. It's just, it's <laughs> <laughs> the one time. Wow. Yeah. So it was a minor thing. It really could have been a lot worse. And most people that I know who are recovering in any capacity have had one or two of those where they didn't realize a cake was like a rum kind of cake or that the beer didn't totally cook off in the batter or like, or just somebody hands you a Coke and you think it's a Coke and it's a rum and Coke. Like it happens, but and it was interesting because I was thinking about it. I've had friends talk to me when they've had that happen to them. And I've always been very like, dude, that could not possibly have been your fault. You couldn't have known. Like if anything, you got duped, but then you go through it yourself and you're like, Oh God, you asshole. You just pissed away three years of this. And like, it's very interesting how quickly you can get to that point despite all the logic pointing you in the other direction how about you though what's been your journey with forgiveness ah man self-talk is a big part of it i think people are mad at me a lot or i think people are turning on me pretty often i if i go couple weeks, couple months, whatever, without seeing a certain friend, I immediately think like, oh, well, our friendship is over. And I get very insecure about that. And I get very upset. And I determine that we're not friends anymore. And I determine that it's my fault um, because it's some sort of behavioral issue that I have or that they're disparaging me behind my back. And I can believe this to the fullest extent and then the next time that I merely see their face, I cease being angry yeah. at all. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, there's love in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such a great feeling. So I guess that is a little bit of a microcosm example of everything else that I've done in my life that I expect has had negative implications or negative outcomes with my relationships. So, you know, I, I guess what we just landed on a few minutes ago was that <laughs> I have trouble believing that other people forgive me. I have trouble believing that other people believe that I'm well-intentioned. I have trouble believing that, like, my motives are pure and that other people see that about me. And just on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, I think, in my social life, I experience this so often and I have to talk myself down from it so often, and I have to be proven wrong so often just by somebody showing their face in the room and just by, like, seeing somebody smile. That I think that is kind of how I tend to approach at least the forgiveness of myself. I can either say, you didn't affect that person as badly as you think you did, or I can say, they probably didn't even notice this is you being self-critical, or I can say, even if you did hurt somebody, and I do still struggle with this because I do, there are still like a lot of unresolved things, like just support that I didn't show for people when I should have, you know, is probably the biggest example. Um, and I feel that I've lost friendships over that. Forgiving myself for that stuff is, is just, see, this is what I meant before when I said like, we can rationalize things. It's like, I, I can write that off. And I can say, well, that person was only meant to be in your life for so long. That person was only meant to be your friend and a part of your support system for a time in your life when you needed them, and that time is over. But I can still look at that experience and say, well, it's my fault that that time is over. Yeah, that's hard. So forgiving myself for a lack of support that I showed for somebody when they needed it, forgiving myself for 
not showing the empathy that I could have is really hard for me now that I'm the kind of person for whom that would be more or less second nature. Like I, I would jump at the chance to show support for people if they really needed it now. It's still hard for me, but I recognize its value more and I recognize that as a part of my identity more. Yeah. And I know that I need to keep that up. Do you think you'd be able to get to a point where, I don't know if like forgiving would happen, but you know, you would recognize that the mistakes that you feel that you made are kind of like that compass now that like you're actively trying to be a better person because you have this constant reminder of like, this is the side of the road. This is the gutter that I have up. It's like, you know, bowling with the bumpers up morally. It's like the more bad stuff you, you feel like you've done or the more bad stuff that's happened to you, the more you're kind of like, you kind of start to understand the sides of your, your road. Like, do you think you would be able to appreciate its value for that at some point? Or do you think it is something that people would ultimately want to aspire to kind of making it toothless? Ooh, well, that's a very good question. Um, part one, yes, I do think I appreciate its value for that now. Okay. But that doesn't bring about reconciliation with those people. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that they are still people wandering the earth who I may have hurt, that bothers me. Part two is the goal to make that feeling toothless, um, is the goal to inoculate it. I don't know, because if that's if if the experience was something that could have potentially taught you empathy and hasn't, then no, it shouldn't be toothless. Mm-hmm. If the experience is something that you have learned from, but it is still biting you, then... I think it is important to recognize that it's biting you for a reason. Yeah. That's a tough question. Yeah, because at what point does that become kind of masochistic, you know? Like, would you at some point be pulling a punch in your own journey intellectually and philosophically and spiritually by letting it continue to bite you, where you might get to a point where you can realize it has teeth, but it's not biting you. But if you get too close, it will. And if you do manage to inoculate that feeling... What you do after has to show that you learn from it. So there are two ways to go about that. One is that you build the defenses to not let people in as much so that that won't happen again. And you can kind of build yourself up within those defenses, within those walls. But that doesn't mean that you will then be well-practiced in ensuring that you won't hurt people again or you won't have the need to forgive yourself again. Or you can let those defenses down. You can let down down the drawbridge and let people in more and practice empathy more and practice your ability to be supportive when you need to be supportive. And, you know, I think that's all about being able to cross the bridge into other people's lives. Because ultimately what we're saying is like, if other people have had an effect on us such that we don't believe that they forgive us, and such that we don't forgive ourselves for not reaching out to them or, or not being as connected to them as we needed to be, then the problem is that we didn't let them cross their bridge to us. Oh, that's good. You know? So yeah. I think the retaliation against that is to acknowledge that there is still a bridge. Yeah. I hate this metaphor. No, I, but it's, it's also, good though, man. <laughs> My dad always talks about breaking down walls and building bridges. 
<laughs> this is this is tired out for me, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it works though. I mean, it gets the point yeah. across. It's a good point. Yeah. So I think that like in- inoculating it of its teeth is about recognizing that it has teeth. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You you don't want it to be toothless. You oh, fuck. I want this metaphor to work so good. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, inoculation of teeth has to be an album by the Soul Patch Band that we make. Oh, agreed. <laughs> yeah, I guess I won't try to chase that metaphor any farther. <laughs> okay, you want it to have teeth because you want to know how much the bite hurts. Yeah. But that's not about pulling its teeth. Yeah. That's about still having phantom pains. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. tough because the phantom pains are just as real. I mean, th- if anything, that's all that any of these pains are. Because if the bridge has been burned or the, the person is... I'm just like, every time I say bridge or teeth, no, man. I, <laughs> it just throws me off. But, um, but, you know, if you're no longer having any kind of a relationship with the person that you feel that you've wronged or that has wronged you, then... I think any any pain that's left would be kind of phantom. So it's like, it's hard because that can hurt just as bad. But I don't know if it's harmful. You know, it just, it's something that you carry, but it's not necessarily attacking you. It's just kind of, it feels like it is. I guess my part three I was thinking about earlier when first asked that question was, do you think doing this podcast will help you with any of these kinds of feelings? Like just knowing that you've said these things on tape, like you've said these out to the world and they exist, you know, there's a real, it takes real guts, you know, to be kind of open about those types of things. I think that's what gives them half of their power is like these types of feelings is that they're private. And by now saying like, this is something that you kind of you know, you feel when you go out into the world. Do you think that will will help you at all with just knowing that somewhere in the world you you said it to anybody that wants to listen? Maybe. But I mean, going off of the example that I just gave, I had Joe Fullen on Friday Night Folk to talk about anxiety. And, you know, we were talking about exactly this, exactly about the, like, not believing that you belong in certain circles. And being denied access to friendships, but then realizing suddenly when you're with them again that nothing has changed. I said that publicly, and I said it to people other than Joe. But, you know, putting it out into the world doesn't heal you of the ailment. Putting it out in the world gains you empathy, yeah. Especially if you're talking to somebody who experiences the same thing. And this wasn't me and Joe reinforcing each other's paranoia. This wasn't me and Joe saying like, oh, you feel that way too? Like, yeah, doesn't it suck when your friends don't want to see you? We were saying, doesn't it suck when you feel as though you're unwelcome? Yeah. So yeah, that's where you can go to look for empathy, but that doesn't necessarily inoculate the source of those feelings. So yes, I think that talking to you about these things and putting them out into the ether is good no matter what. And, I mean, just doing this episode, let alone the others that we've done so far, have led me to identify the source of some things that I feel, some insecurities that I have, and so forth. But then it's about how to inoculate them. 
then it's about like, well, how do I make sure that this isn't going to be a detriment to my relationships? And that's the hardest part. So it will absolutely help to realize where certain things come from. It's not exactly, I'll put it this way. When I was experiencing heavy depression last week, I was thinking about how all of the strategies that I've learned for mental health have all been preventative, but not palliative. Oh, that's good. And so once I'm, once I'm in that moment, I don't know what to do. I know how to present my, prevent myself from entering into the moment. But what about when it blindsides me? And then I don't have the tools that I thought I had. So it still is about developing the tools. And you and I, I think, will be talking a bit about developing the tools and we'll be doing our own reading and edifying ourselves as well as others. And that will certainly help. Yeah. So the ultimate answer is yes, but it's more complicated than just talking about it and feeling as though you've healed. Yeah. I mean, even more in a sense, too, of like somebody once told me a good trick for stage fright. If you're, say, for instance, they use the example of you feel like you're going to throw up when you walk on stage. Then sometimes just kind of opening with that is a good move by just saying, hey, like, guess what? I'm really afraid this is about to happen. And then everybody laughs and then you play your song and it you just kind of stop worrying about it because you've acknowledged that possibility. And like, if you do, you warn them. If you don't, Hey, whatever, like now you're not thinking about it. Sometimes I feel like when I, even if I've put it on a record, if I've aired something like this, that's like been a worry of mine in a social setting, like the way that I feel like people view me, sometimes it just kind of feels like putting it out there is like, it's not necessarily helping me grow towards feeling more, hole around it but it just kind of like it's what I would say to the people in that room or the people in the room that I'm not in if I was able to you know like I would just tell them like I don't know why but I feel like all of you hate me I can justify it that's where I'm at right now <laughs> and kind of just leave it there but just sort of a little like disclaimer like if I'm looking weird if I'm quiet if I'm in the corner if I leave early chances are I've concocted some story in my head where I've just wronged all of you profoundly and I need to just go home. So sometimes it's like saying stuff like this in a public setting, it helps me a little bit by just at least being like, look, I don't know what the hell's happening here. I'm working on it, but I don't hate all of you. Mm -hmm. I remember there was once at the puzzle factory, I think it might've been the first time that I played there. You know, I sat down and said, how you doing to the crowd? And someone shouted back, how are you doing? I remember that day. And I just, without blinking, said, anxious. Yeah, that was awesome, man. That was a really, <laughs> that was a cool show. And I was. I was really anxious. <laughs> yeah. And saying it and feeling that my vulnerability was safe in that place was great. It didn't make me less anxious. Yeah. But it was great. Yeah. You know, I, I did feel safe. I don't open with that song anymore ever <laughs> because <laughs> I never get stage fright. And that's not really what it was. I think it is actually the content of that song that makes me anxious to play it. But to tie that back into what we were just talking about, I think it is about the cultivation of vulnerability and the cultivation of safe spaces, not just physical, but mental as well. So... 
the expectation that people will accept my vulnerability is part of this show and it's part of the show for you and it's part of the show for anybody who's going to listen to us so does it cause you to heal not necessarily you have to do the work but does it cause you to feel safe is the more important question and does it cause you to feel that you can be forgiven and that your vulnerability is valid yes no that's that's a really good distinction do you ever get the kind of <laughs> the like rebound from that like for me, it's a split second after I feel the peace that comes with that safety. I then get the guilt that comes with not tr- <laughs> not trusting that these people were going to be safe all along. <laughs> and then I live with that, man. <laughs> this is why life is a hell, dude. Matthew, how do you forgive yourself? <laughs> I don't, man. You're over here just playing with sports equipment. Yeah, I just kind of realized that, that I've got a golf club and a stress ball. Dude, that should tell you everything you need to know about my day-to-day mental state, is that I have two stress objects in my hands while we're talking about forgiveness, and I didn't even know it. Have we veered away from wasted years? Oh, profoundly, man. Yeah, mm. we're miles away. But I mean, I still think this is a core piece, though. Forgiveness is its central to why they feel wasted. And that's if you can forgive those actions, then you wouldn't even be thinking about them in those terms. We started this episode with so much optimism. <laughs> and where we landed was, yeah. fuck, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> that still feels optimistic, you know? It's kind of... Because we're looking, like, that's the distinction. It's like, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's not that, like, we didn't end in a place where we're like, well, we are fucked signing off. Like, it's definitely intimidating, but I, I don't feel like it's a pessimistic thing to to be considering these things. It's just like, wow, there's a lot. Yeah. I think you're right. The recognition that there is work to do and the optimism that it takes to take on that work. There's something to be said for the growth that it takes to get to that place, especially if five or ten years ago you weren't in a place where you would approach that work with optimism. And I think that that's a big distinction, because I, a lot of this stuff that I think that I need forgiveness for, I did to myself, or at least that's my perception of it. You know, I acted in sin, or I acted in disunity or disharmony with somebody. I affected somebody and it was my fault. It's a completely different feeling when you realize that something was done unto you or when you realize that you were betrayed in some way. And so that, I think, is like, will I ever trust somebody again to let my guard down or will I constantly fear betrayal? So it's this dual, like, at once there's the feeling of, oh, good, I get to talk about this on the podcast. And... Also, yay, I have work to do. And yay, I can put this into emotional language. But, oh no, this is a very real thing. This is a very real trust barrier. And I need to learn how to break it down. But even if I break it down, it doesn't mean that I won't be betrayed. Yeah, but even respecting about yourself, like why you built it up. Because I think that's like a deceiving thing about 
trauma responses and and walls that people put up is they work and they're typically uncomfortable enough that you have to have done it for a reason at some point, you know? And it's like, I think there's a lot of guilt in that when you get removed from the actual event, you know, and it's probably more poignant with certain types of traumas as opposed to other ones. But I think a lot of them, when you dig it down to its core, you can see like there's this, the response and then there's the guilt about the response. And accepting that is kind of its own battle in and of itself. But it's like, that's a capacity that is very necessary and very natural to have gone through something profoundly shitty. And even if it only seems shitty to you, you know, just something that caused you to be like, oh my God, I, I'm, I don't know what the hell just happened, but I got to power down for a minute. That's a defense mechanism. I mean, that's a valuable thing to be able to do. It's just, it can get carried way out of context, years and years out of context. And that's kind of a separate thing, I think. But like, even just coming to terms with that, like the fact that you reacted the way you did because of the stimuli you were being given and the things you knew about the world to be true, you inferred basically. And it kind of goes for the self too. You know, it's like forgiving your mistakes. It's like you might be able to speak to a thousand reasons why you could have done better in any particular situation, but you still made the decision you made for some reason. And a light bulb didn't switch on where all of a sudden you became deeply enlightened one morning when you woke up. Like, it's all kind of been a progression. Even if you did have a light bulb moment, you know, like, there was a lot of shit pumping into that light bulb beforehand. So I think it's like a journey of kind of, for me at least, it feels like a journey of like letting go of some of the anxiety around stuff like that and just accepting that there might be a lot less to this than I wish there was, but that's okay. I think that's a pretty good place to end. Yeah. I mean, do you think we have it? <laughs> I think, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get it. If we. <laughs> uh, how the fuck did wasted years die? I mean, yeah, no, I think we, we got, we covered a lot of it. What we didn't cover really is the feeling that you can't get time back. Yeah. And the idea that they were, when you think of them collectively as something that you can waste, how much control did you really have over that collection? You know, like you can only really waste something you had possession of at some point. Did you possess that time? Did you possess all of those experiences? Did you really own your life during those times? Do you ever? Or did you have an idea of what your time could be utilized for? You know, if you were cynical or pessimistic during that time, and I think that's really what we're talking about, wasted years, we think like we weren't motivated, we weren't aspiring, we weren't, maybe we were we were aspiring, but we were pessimistic about how we could get there. I know as, as artists and people who, who want fame and who grew up hearing the rock star myths, it's easy to get cynical and it's easy to give up and it's easy to believe that it's all for naught. So if you don't actually fully believe with conviction that what you're doing will make you into an actualized version of yourself, then are you really squandering that time? Or do you think that you know intuitively that that time can only be squandered because that dream will never be realized?
So if yet if you don't feel that that time is yours to waste, then in the moment you don't feel as though you're wasting it. It's only in the future when you finally taste the fruits of your efforts, as it were, that you look back and say, this could be sweeter fruit. I think the idea of wasting years is just its something to believe in. It's hope, really, when you think about it. It's that, like, there was a chance that that all fucking could have made sense. And then in that, that the rest of this might. So in a way, it's kind of smoke and mirrors. Now I'm I'm reaching a point where I think it might be both possible and impossible to waste years, to waste chunks of your life. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's such a non-answer, but I mean, it's really like both answers feel arrogant to me. Join us next time when we will be talking about the multiverse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, you know what I mean? Like, if you say, like, it's possible to waste all of those years, well, when when did they start and when did they end? Yeah. And if you say it's impossible, then why do I feel like shit about my entire life so far? So it's kind of like, there's something going on in between there or around that idea that is confusing enough that we had to create a construct to make any fucking sense of it. So much of this is environmental, too. Yeah. So much of this is like you see other people. I'm getting tired of using the word wasting. <laughs> but you see other people who are non aspirational. Yeah. I honestly think that wasted years could be seen as a period in, in your life during which you weren't challenged. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Or that you didn't live up to the challenges presented to you. Mm. You know what? I like it's both impossible and possible. <laughs> Because there are so many dualistic answers to this. I think that's the problem. Is that like you and I are sitting here trying to take the middle way. Yeah. (laughs) And, but we, we keep dabbling in the dualism of it all. And that makes it very difficult to answer. That's got to be something too, dabbling in the dualism. (laughs) We start like some kind of fucking pretentious duo, like a, um, I don't know what kind of. <laughs> well, because think we went into this saying like wasted years were they really wasted, and that implies a yes or no. Yeah. So that's what we've been doing. Oh man, I had a crazy one the other night too. Just before I forget to mention this, it ties in pretty well. I think um, I was cleaning my room. Like I've just got like crates of papers and stuff, and like songs and just shit from when I was in school or like scrapbooks or whatever, and. I found that it was a lot like digging through an archaeological site. Like I haven't gone through these memories in apparently ever actually. And so I could see like, I just get bigger crates and dump them into those. So, you know, it's, but it's all kind of still in order. So it was really interesting because I could see like the top was like songs and things that I was doing now. And then in the middle, there were like some beer cans and some um, cigarette butts and stuff. And then I get a little bit lower and it was like a bunch of wristbands from shows and all this kind of shit. But I I go all the way down to like where things were written in colored pencil and on construction paper and I put bindings on them. Like you could tell these were projects and one of them was like my, I don't know what grade I was in, but it was some young ass grade and I had to write my like dreams and aspirations for my life. 
and what I wanted to turn into. And I looked at that and I was like, oh God, don't read this right now. This is not going to put you in a good place at all. But I did and it all happened basically. Like if that sixth grader, fifth grader, whatever it was, could have seen me right now or seen my life for all these years that I would have said two and a half weeks ago that I pissed away and I wouldn't have given that thought a second thought. I would have just said, yeah, I, I fucked up somewhere. I'm enjoying myself, but like I totally veered off of a path that I should have been on. I lived out those dreams somehow. Like as far back as like 11 years old, I did what I wanted to do. And that really kind of like it scared the shit out of me, honestly, when I looked at it. Cause I was like, God damn, these are my fucking dreams. <laughs> what the hell am I? Oh my God. Like it's wrong down to the core then. But, um, it was, I don't know. It's been, I thought about it a lot afterwards of just like, maybe this wasn't so bad or maybe I just didn't understand what those dreams meant. Maybe I was just a sixth grader and I couldn't have possibly known. And it just, I don't know that's where I ended up leaving it. That's interesting. Cause that's, that enters into a new realm of dualism as you were just implying. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. If all I've done is actualize what my 11-year-old self wanted. Yeah. However, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something there. And that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production. And to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. You can also send any questions or comments to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. We have just one episode left to wrap up season one, so we'll be back right around Labor Day to talk with our friends Ian Garland and Trevor Sullivan about workaholism. Until then. <laughs>